The date is Friday, August 5th, and you're listening to Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. How do you feel about a tale of revenge, trying to rescue your legacy? What about a tale of acceptance, knowing that your size isn't what makes you, you? Do you like a tricky tale that leaves you wondering what'll come next? How about a love story between a princess and a pirate? You know what? I'll throw them all in for you. This week, we talk about a story in a story and Michael's perfect movie, The Princess Bride. So enjoy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to your favorite show on the internet, encapsulating all things entertainment. It's Entertain This. Entertain This. As always, I'm Alex. I'm Michael. And I'm Patrick. Wait. Wait. Who? Wait. Not as always. Different. Different this time. Oh. Oh, no. Not the same. It's not <laughs> Chloe. It's Patrick now. Oh, no. Still no Nick, is what no I'm Nick. hearing. But these randos keep popping up in the studio, taking a spot. <laughs> we'll let it happen. Yes, indeed. All right. All right, Patrick, if that is your name. Who are you? <laughs> well, I, I'm some just random guy. They uh, they decided to pick me up on the random side of the street in Cincinnati, you know. Uh, but no, in all in seriousness, my name's Patrick. I am a huge fan of the show. Well, just you don't the, the fuck you guys. Yeah, you don't have um, to. You don't have to lie. <laughs> butter us up. You don't have to lie. You're already on. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, I, I I love Star Wars. I'm a huge fan of Marvel. I love everything when it comes to anything nerdy. Um, so I'm excited and, to, to show everybody my two cents. And you I, just watched Top Gun for the first time a couple of weeks yeah. ago. <laughs> <laughs> In my basement with them, yeah. It was so awesome. The first time ever. All right. I think you've, you've passed the entry exam, so I'll allow it. You're welcome to, to, the, to your hosting spot on Entertain This. Uh, we don't know how long it's going to last. Like we said, Nick is still on sabbatical. It may be a permanent sabbatical. We're kind of waiting to hear from him to find out. But in the meantime, thank you so much, Patrick, for filling in. Thank you guys for having me. Of course. So it's your first rodeo, Pat. So we're gonna go a little. Uh, we're gonna go a little soft on you, and I'll give you kind of the rundown. So every week here on the show, we one of us will come up with a topic for the rest of us to sort of discuss while the conversation is led by the one who brought the topic. Lucky for you, you'll be going not this week nor next week, but the week after that. So you got two weeks to get ready for your episode and your time to shine. Awesome. I'll have to knock everybody's socks off now that I got some time to do it all. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Now, in the meantime, it is actually Michael's week. Whoa, no way. I'm going to throw it on you right now. I didn't remind you this morning. So I'm here to ask the question on everyone's mind. Michael, you have a topic for us? I do, in fact. And this is one wow. that I I didn't... I went back... So I'm not doing a video game this week, to everyone's surprise. Uh, and chagrin. Video, video game for the last four weeks in a row of my topic. So yep. time, to, time to mix it up. Uh, taking things back to a movie that I first discovered when I was a, a small baby child, Michael. Uh, baby child michael one that to this day still holds a very special place in my heart for a multitude of reasons and is one of the few movies that 
I consider to be perfect in every way. Is it Top Gun 2? Possibly. I haven't seen it yet. Is it The Fifth Element? <laughs> Never seen The Fifth Element, actually. Um, no, this one is a movie that I was shown by my friend, by my childhood friend, uh, The Princess Bride. movie that i think who here has seen the princess bride oh yes i mean it's my wife's favorite movie so it's like, okay. seen it. it's like saying who here has seen the inside of their eyelids <laughs> that's a that's a deep question because <laughs> it's dark and like you can't see anything when your eyes are shut are we gonna do this <laughs> you're telling me you've never sat in the sun and closed your eyes and been like wow everything's red I mean, kind of, but also does that count as seeing the inside of your eyelids or seeing light shining through the inside of your eyelids? I don't want to debate this with you. I mean, he does have a point. No, so. he doesn't. No, he does not have a point. <laughs> it's kind of like saying, like, if you hold a piece of paper up to your eyeball, are you, like, actually seeing the paper at that point or are you seeing the light behind the paper? No, you're seeing the paper. Because you're seeing the light that's casted onto it. I mean, yeah, if we're if we're if you poke a hole in the paper and you look through that hole, then your question has has some sort of ground. I'll let you win this one. <laughs> Good, because <laughs> this was going to be the whole episode. Cool. <laughs> Two hours of who's going to argue and when what's. Yeah, that's true. About how it goes. Um... <laughs> But yeah, so the Princess Bride. So you all have seen it. Um, so if you if you could give me your all's just quick impressions of the Princess Bride. Very quotable movie. Oh, extremely, Very. yeah, Very. extremely quotable movie. Um, my first impressions are uh, a framed narrative is actually my favorite form of storytelling. Yeah, and this is like one of the scholarly examples of a framed narrative. So for anyone who doesn't know, Alex, can you describe what a frame narrative is? Yeah. So the basic idea of a frame narrative is there is a story that is being told that is placed inside of the frame that is another story being told. So the idea being... Inception. Yeah. So the idea being that the frame is, in this case, the grandfather telling a story to his sick grandson, mm -hmm. but the actual picture inside of the frame is the story of the princess bride. Yep, exactly. And the Princess Bride being a like fantasy renaissance era uh story that the like a childhood child books childhood story that the grandpa is telling. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also got this unique writing style that I love that I call the fuck it style. Yeah. <laughs> because there's a certain point in writing where you've written so much serious like down to the heart written from your soul shit that eventually you just write something called the fuck it like the fuck it script where you mm -hmm. just go nuts and you just write ridiculous stuff long soliloquies terrible monologues situations of wit that kind of don't make sense yeah. and it's just incredible and that's everything this script is it kind of reminds me and i i, I thought of this earlier it kind of reminds me of like the monty python oh yeah style, yeah man. it's like it reaches right it like it takes itself seriously to a point where then it 
the author says fuck it and it delves into parody mm-hmm. um which yeah which like kind of brings up a funny part about funny thing about this movie in that like it is an adaptation of a book mm-hmm. and that's something that most people don't know about it um it was originally a book by william goldman and that kind of brings into question of like anytime you have any adaptation of any sort it brings into question of like okay what is from the original source material and what is from the like what is new to this adaptation and that kind of comes along and becomes a contentious part about like why do we care so deeply about adaptations in the first place uh i mean we've all seen a bad adaptation before um shout out to you lightning thief yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah that uh that movie was absolutely terrible Uh uh-huh yeah more like shit out am i right Other other notable bad adaptations would be like any of the new live action Disney movies. Um, let's see. I mean, the live action Lion King that was actually just CGI, but no one wants to talk about it. Right. It's it's yeah. a cartoon. Just there wasn't a, there wasn't a little even a little bit of live action in that. <laughs> yeah, live action animals talking. Um, <laughs> oh God. Uh, but yeah, it's it. it in my opinion, though, like the Princess Bride. So let's 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 take a look at like what is the difference between like what are some of the differences between the book and the movie? Nice. Because not everything that translates from book and that can exist only in book form actually translates to movie or visual depiction. Um, yeah, you'd be surprised how cheap ink is and how expensive practical <laughs> effects <yeah>. are. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um you could what, be like what? my wife, who likes the book better than anything that the movies could offer. So my wife, am I right? My wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. So the, well, one of the sorry. Go but, ahead. But Pat, your wife's like big into Harry Potter, and it's like the perfect example of it is just yeah. giving up so much to make it into a movie. You miss mm-hmm. out on a lot of the charm that came with the books. So I could totally see her being like way into books and then being a little bit jaded about the idea of movie adaptations. Exactly. And I think the Harry Potter franchise, like you said, is like perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For that. Yeah. So. I mean, it's, there's just so many affordances that books can make that movies cannot. And like you said, ink is cheap. Practical effects are not. Um, That's an Alex Seal original, by the way, if anyone quotes <laughs> me on that, I want my name attached to it. <laughs> or some say patent pending, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, like books just they can take the time to really go in depth on certain characters or events or any part of its story that it needs to explain where sometimes you just got to get across something that takes 30 pages of a book in 30 seconds of a movie. Uh, A lot of times that does not go over well. Um. (laughs) You mean like walking around like in The Hobbit? Exactly. Yep. (laughs) Which is like funny because my two perfect movies in my mind are both adaptations of books that have to make a lot of affordances. Can I guess? Yeah. Princess Bride, obviously. Oh, yeah. Lord of Uh the Rings is the other one. Yes, it is. (laughs) Because that book is they walk. Yes. It's a a book about a really long walk. (laughs) So for those who don't know, my wife is a person who We get it. You're married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Don't yeah, rub yeah. it in. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but so, with that being said, I mean, there's literally books everywhere. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the one book that she has never finished. Real fire hazard. <laughs> yeah, I know. The one book that she hasn't finished is Lord of the Rings. Mm. I can't really blame her, to be honest. Nah. I, yeah. I the, the gracious host of this now three-year running entertainment podcast, have still yet to see Lord of the Rings nor read it. I don't know the story of Lord of the Rings. All right, you're missing out on the movie. Everybody man, like... tells me that, but... I've, I've offered to let you stay, like, a full day at my place where we just sit down and do nothing but watch the movies. Yeah, well, we should do that. I just don't know when. We'll figure... We'll carve out a day. We'll carve out a day. Yeah, and... Knowing, we'll have to like knowing get, we'll have to prepare, get snacks. Knowing your fiance, Michael, if we were to do this, number one, it would probably be a lot more people, and number two, there would be mead and like turkey legs, and like she would just oh, go God. all out on the different serving dishes to come along with it. <laughs> one of my favorite things recently has been on TikTok, uh, people imitating the uh, scene of the king of Gondor eating. His food, mm. real gross, like mm-hmm. while people are riding into battle and dying, incredible. Just doing that at restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so perfect movies. Uh, the Princess Bride. But yeah, yeah. it was a novel. Um, like I said, written by written written by William Goldman. Uh, and one of the unique things that uh, I came to discover about it that I never would have thought is the framing of the book is quite different than the framing of the movie Hmm. and this is one of those things that never would have been able to accomplish in movie form so i'm very glad that they chose what they did to be able to adapt it in the movie in the first place so the biggest difference is is that in the novel it very similar setup where it is the actual author william goldman it is him as a child uh sick with pneumonia and it his dad comes from a fictional country, Florin, which is where the Princess Bride takes place. And he is reading this story of the Princess Bride to him as a kid. And essentially, as he grows up, he eventually marries, William Goldman does, and he has kids. And he wants to be able to tell that very same story to his kids. And so what he does is he goes out to a local bookstore and he's able to find a copy of The Princess Bride. However, he starts reading it in preparation to read it for his kids. And he realizes as he's reading it that it is not quite the same story. Uh, One of the biggest notes of it is that essentially his dad, much like how in the the movie... uh, likes to abridge things and take out all of the boring parts and the unnecessary parts. Um, See, that answers a huge question I had from the movie, which is how the fuck did the grandpa read that whole book in like one day? The answer is he absolutely did not. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) He was absolutely skipping over all of the boring parts. Right. Um, But yeah, and so what, what the actual book is of The Princess Bride is the story of... William Goldman retelling this story and trying to recreate the experience that he had as a kid. So it is him rewriting the princess bride and him trying to come back up with that version that his dad did. So it comes with like notes that he's writing to himself of like, yeah, and then this thing happens, but it's not really important. So we're not going to worry about it. Or there's like notes of like 
his wife saying like, yeah, you should like, I'm like his notes about his wife being mad at him for taking out other parts. Um, and it's kind of like a meta commentary of him retelling. It's like four layers of storytelling and framing deep. Um, and can become quite complex. <laughs> That's incredible. That's that reminds me yeah. of, weirdly enough, like <laughs> another really great frame narrative is this is kind of harping back to my in defense of Adam Sandler, but bedtime stories oh. is a lot like this too, in a sense, where it's like, yes, there's the story being told, but there's also the things the kids are adding. And that's changing yeah. the entire like spectrum of the story being told. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it really just kind of like it, it, pres- it makes it such an easy to, di- even though like it adds layers of complexity, mm-hmm. it does make it an easier to digest story because you know that everything that's being told is with this meta narr- meta narrator who is willing to take out all of the more complex parts of it. And kind of give it to you in this way that's meant to be told through voice. Um, but yeah, and one of the one of the cool things that I really like about it too is that like it takes like so the, the story itself is based off of like a Renaissance era like fantasy story, but it also is like cemented in real world. Like everything that's happening is happening on this fictional continent of Florin, but then you also have someone like Inigo Montoya who is from Spain somehow uh he is the Spaniard uh and and you have um oh god Vizzini who is from Sicily (laughs) so it's this really weird concept of like a fictional land within the real world uh meant to be this cementing factor to it so it's like it never reaches levels of fantasy that require like deep lore dumps or which I, I love in any book, but uh, it never requires any like big suspension of dis- well, it has suspensions of disbelief, but not like to the point of like, yes, I'm in the fictional land of uh, Middle Earth and I have to know what Mordor is or who Sauron is in order to understand the baseline of the story. It's like, oh, OK, we're just people who live in a castle and we're doing like that era things just with some with some magic dust on top. Hence why we get people, yeah. (laughs) Hence why we get people like uh, Andre the Giant, who even though he was very real, is played up quite a bit in the movie. uh, Or why we get rats of unusual size. Fun fact about that, and uh, so he actually didn't do any like major lifting during that whole movie. He had actually pulled uh, a muscle and was in, uh, so he was basically in rehabilitation during the whole movie. Gotcha. He is one of my, even though I think this is really the only movie he really acted in, uh, to this day, just by his depiction in the movie, one of my favorite actors of all time. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it really just does not take a lot, but this movie just does such a good job of playing to his strengths and who he is as a person, uh, that it really just is the perfect casting for it. Uh, funny thing about the casting, so you know that actor that they ended up choosing is the same actor who they ended up going for Andre the Giant's character. No, for uh, for uh, Wesley's character. Oh. So originally it was supposed to be Colin Firth. So interesting. Yeah, 
And so Colin Firth. What has he been in? I because I remember his the face. Kingsman. Well, it's the most notable one that I know. Mm-hmm. We were right. talking about this with Alex earlier, and I think he said that something. Oh. He was gotcha. definitely in the Kingsman. I don't know if he's one of the many. Yes, he is in Love Actually because he's the one who falls in love with the woman who can't speak English, and he learns her language for her, and she learns English for him. Mm. Um, and then yeah. what else? He's man, he's in a lot. I can pull up his whole list of things if we really want to get nah, that. Nah, we don't got to get into it. <laughs> but yeah, so, he's he's got a lot of acting credits. He's a very notable actor. Gotcha. Uh, so that ins- was... instead of him, though, they went with Carrie Ellis. Yeah. Who? Which? Yeah, I I think is an incredible choice, and was one of those like late '80s, early '90s heartthrobs that was just like a big flash in the pan for a little bit. And then just disappeared. <laughs> yep. It's like I mean, two- I think the only other movie that I know him from is Robin Hood. Exactly. Yeah. So and like two very similar movies too. Like they both have a very similar uh, kind of comedic uh, way of doing things. I mean, they're, they're v- very different in a lot of ways, but they both have that same kind of like uh, sensibility to them, and you can really see like that that kind of centers around who Carrie Ellis is as an actor. Yep. Um, but yeah, so um, just to kind of like go through the plot of The Princess Bride, now that we have like nailed down the framing of this movie. Um, so essentially the plot of this movie is you have Wesley, who is a farmhand who grows up being ordered around by Buttercup. Uh, Wesley is her farmhand on her family's farm. Uh, and basically as they're growing up, um, Buttercup is just Wesley do this, Wesley do that. And every time that she asks Wesley to do anything, Wesley responds with, as you wish. Um, Another notable line. Yep. Uh, And these two grow, essentially grow up together. And as they are going and doing things, she kind of learns as she's growing up alongside Wesley that, oh, wow, she does love him. Uh, It's just he will do anything for her if she if she were to ask, because everything that she ever asked him to do he responds with as you wish um but eventually uh wesley goes on and he leaves the farm uh and he goes to put his own life together and it's during this time where he leaves that buttercup is summoned to the castle um where she is set to marry the king of florin um whose name i do not remember uh it's something very strange um what is it? Prince Humperdinck. Prince Humperdinck, the is. one who they based Lord Farquaad off of. Yep. <laughs> oh, Chris Sarandon's. Yeah, that's the actor for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think in the Shrek episode, we talked about how Lord Farquaad is also a parody of the Disney producer. Yes. That Yes, his face yeah. is based off of that, but the outfit he wears is pulled straight from the Princess Bride. Right. Okay. <laughs> right because originally his name was uh lord fuckwad instead yep. of lord farquad <laughs> uh for more information on that go listen back to the shrek episode which is one of my favorites um but yeah so uh she's set to marry prince humperdinck uh who is essentially just trying to look for the most beautiful woman in all the land who happens to be princess buttercup uh but princess buttercup does not want to go along with the marriage. And so 
she resists at all points. Uh, but eventually she is captured uh, by uh, Vizini, uh, Inigo, and uh, oh gosh, what is on- it's not just Andre. Um, Fezzik, that's his name. Yep. Uh, captured by all of them to be held ransom for a fortune. Because that is what they do. Uh, all led by Vezik, the Sicilian. Um, who are, they are just the best uh, triplet of characters. <laughs> they had really good uh, bands. Yeah, you have, yeah, you have Vizini, who is supposed to be like the charismatic, smart, planning leader. Uh, you have Inigo, who is the uh, the drunkard swordsman, who has nothing on his mind except to get revenge on the the six fingered man. Uh, and then you have uh, Ezek, who is just the giant, who's just coming along. <laughs> um, and the thing is, is like it tries to play everything of this threesome off as like the stereotypes that you would see them for. But it's and it's all kind of tried to be done through the viewpoint of Vizini, the leader. Uh, except it's very easy to see that everything that Vizini thinks that he is, he's not. And everything that he thinks that Inigo and Vezik are, they are not. Uh, they're much more than the characters that he makes them out to be. Um, but everything does fall in line with his plans, no matter what. Um so, but it's during this process that they're trying to uh, capture Princess Buttercup that the Dread Pirate Roberts, mm-hmm. uh, legendary, uh, legend, legend, legendary bandit of the seas, uh, catches onto their tail uh, for some unknown reason uh, and tries to go back and capture Buttercup. Um, we later on find out that the Dread Pirate Roberts happens to also be Wesley. He took over Spoilers. the Spoilers. Well, <laughs> it's how how old is this movie? This movie came it's out. It's like in... 30 years old at this point. Yeah, we're fine. Just uh, don't do any kissing because that's gross. <laughs> Speaking of kissing, so they, uh, the chemistry between Buttercup and Wesley was actually, that was off camera and on camera. Yeah, that, that clocks. Yeah. The Princess Buttercup was Robin Wright. Um, which also she, a terrible name, by the way. Which she was uh, Jenny in uh, Forrest Gump. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is the first time I've made that connection. Yeah, yeah right? I've never made that connection. <laughs> yeah, it's just seven years later. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Um, so, at this point, like, you all... I mean, I feel like everyone remembers so much about this movie uh, because so much of it sticks out. What, 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 what for you all was like the biggest things that stick out about this movie at this point? It's like you got the meta narrative of the grandpa telling the story to his grandson, but then you also have the actual story being told. Can can I be honest? <laughs> Go for it. So the thing that sticks out the most for me was the moment where I was like, oh, you know, the Dread Pirate Roberts is a very interesting character. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, when I was like, oh, I'm rooting for this guy, like that moment, honestly, it's from the moment you you meet him. But if I had to pick a moment where like he won me over and I was like, hell yeah, this guy needs <laughs> everything. It was when he is sitting at the table um, and it's like, you can't trick a Sicilian, you know? 
Yep. And he's like, well, how do I know that you didn't switch these when I turned my back? But you've already thought of that. So you switch it like this and that and the other. And he goes, ha, you've been bested. And, you know, he drinks it and so on and so forth. That moment is like the Princess Bride moment for me. Oh, absolutely. That is the, that is a really good moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would say I would second that as well. But, I mean, the sword fight is another good yeah, with it, with an ego, yeah. Them them both starting left handed and then uh, eventually revealing that that's not their dominant hand. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's so many. Like I said, there's so, talked about this too. Is that there's so many notable scenes in this movie that they. Oh but, yeah, I mean it's really hard to not like just devolve this entire podcast right now into just quoting the movie back and forth at each other. Marriage. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like there's so many pop culture references that are for this movie that you don't realize come from it until you go back and rewatch it mm-hmm. yeah um and there's like it, it it's especially difficult too because there's so much about this movie that can easily be like misconstrued for like a monty python film uh like yes. for the longest time, I always thought the mewage ma- came from like Monty Python and the Holy Grail because the character looks like he's from Monty Python. Exactly. <laughs> like all the other ones, you can argue look semi-normal, but then you see the priest and you're like, "What?" <laughs> well, and then it's also like names like Prince Humperdinck, uh, or fighting like a six-fingered man when that is very much like a Black Knight esque. Uh, situation mm-hmm. um, but yeah and there, there's just so much about this movie that just like like I hadn't seen it for a good 10 to 15 years until I saw it again about like a few weeks ago yeah man uh, and it's one of every single detail continues to stick out with you uh, even after so much time has passed um, one one that I always remember is the uh the f- when uh when wesley is uh trying to navigate the swamp uh with the rodent of unusual size mm-hmm. i remember being six years old and watching that scene for the first time and freaking the fuck out <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's pretty trippy yeah like the as it's one of the things like looking back on it now and rewatching it like the rodent of usual says like, oh, okay, like this is some cheapo, like practical. It's effect. very clearly a man in a rat costume. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like at the time, it's like, oh, my God, like that's the most real depiction. And it freaks me out. Rats can get that big. Right. Exactly. Rats can, it's get some, like, can get that big. Yeah. It's like when watching uh, the Star Wars movies and seeing all right. those practical effects and just being like, oh, that's real life. Like the force is real. Lightsabers are real. Uh, I hope to God I don't ever see Jabba the Hutt in real life. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Little do we know, we absolutely would in every Walmart across America. <laughs> oh my God. Exactly. Um, they just happen to be on the scooters. It's always the scooters. Yeah. It's the only way Jabba could get around. In fact, we, I don't think we if ever Jabba see... would have had a scooter, I'd have lost my mind. <laughs> Especially if it either... had one of those little horns on the front that's like <laughs> either that or like I'd love it if Jabba just like used his puny little arms to lift up all of his body goo and he's just got two tiny tiny little dingly legs. What if he... even worse, Jabba the Hutt stands up from a sitting pos- or a laying position and it's just like the most beautiful pair of like 
80s bombshell legs and he's like wearing stilettos and he's just like like <laughs> clicking as he walks away and we're all like whoa that emulates very like who wears short shorts i, I wear, wear short shorts <laughs> kind of energy incredible um but yeah and so we see wesley as we alluded to uh and we talked about he see him make make his way individually through the three the trio uh, first through Inigo, then Fazzini, or through, um, yeah, Fazzini, and then uh, Vizzino. Uh, I think I completely butchered those names. Um, but Fezzik and Vizzini, there we go. Uh, if you haven't learned by now after a hundred something episodes, names are not my strong suit. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, and each one is a, to be a different test of uh, Wesley's uh, skills. So at first it's sword fighting, then it's his strength against the giant. And then his wits against the Sicilian, mm-hmm. uh, overcoming all of them uh, in ways that feel like they they might not actually be tests. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's once he's reunited with Princess Buttercup, he tries to not let up his disguise until the very moment he says, as you wish. And all the memories come flooding back to Princess Buttercup. Um, oh, yeah. But it's at this exact same time that Prince Humperdinck and his crew come gallivanting along the meadows and come across them and re-kidnaps Princess Buttercup in exchange for Wesley. Uh, when they offer him freedom to go about his his life on the open seas, uh, they make a deal with Princess Buttercup that if she decides, or if if Wesley does come back within the month that they give her, month or so, uh, that they give her uh, before the wedding, then she can go off and be happy with Buttercup. Um, What she doesn't know, though, is they have captured uh, Wesley to be tortured uh, and to be kept underground uh, for the entirety of the month. Um. And this is where we start to see characters like, uh, I believe, uh, Mel Smith was a guy who was playing the, I think his official name is the albino. Um, the guy who is leading the torture, uh, which we would only really know Mel Smith from. Only thing I've seen him in was National Lampoon's Euro Vacation. Did you all ever? He was the hotel manager in that. I, I don't think I've seen that. I was going to say, that's not a movie I've watched before. Gotcha. So, like, the whole National Lampoon's Vacation series um, with uh, Chevy Chase, uh, Dana Hill, Jason Lively, that, that whole crew um, only shows up for that one. Not really a big uh, outstanding actor, but was one that always stuck out to me from The Princess Bride. But yeah, and it's during this time where after he overcomes the trio, uh, Inigo and uh, Fezzik go off and try to live out their lives in desperation. Mm-hmm. And we see them fall back into the habits that they used to have. We see Inigo trying to fight an entire bar. Uh, you see him passed out drunk outside. Fezzik just trying to put something back together to find purpose. Uh, and yeah, and we... The thing that I love is that they give Fezzik, the character who's supposed to be the dim-witted, uh, the dim-witted strongman, 
the guy who also happens to be the biggest heart who acts as the glue for everything in this entire movie. Um, just falls right in line with that stereotype that I'm just a big fan of. The big teddy bear. Gotta love Andre the Giant. God, he's so good. That's great. But yeah. Well, he died in like, he was like 40 or something. He yeah, he, he died super early from like heart failure. I mean, yeah. he, he had, um, I don't remember the name of the disease, but he essentially like he had giantism. Uh, like his body just never stopped growing. And he uh, I think it was just his body got too big for his heart and it just couldn't couldn't pump the blood. Uh, granted, I'll give Andre the giant props too, though. Like he, that man figured out how to live life to the fullest. Uh, did there is many pictures of him living life to the fullest. (laughs) (laughs) Like he, uh, one of my favorite stories is of him just crushing like two 16 packs of beers on a two hour flight. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like the man, like, I mean, when you look at it though, like you see pictures of his hands holding a regular can of beer and it, his hand just engulfs it. Um, just makes it look like, like a Barbie toy. Um, but yeah, uh, so at this point in the movie, we have Princess Buttercup waiting to be rescued from the situation by Wesley, uh, and is where like we get another memorable quote. It is uh, when she dreams of the wedding procession, and you have the old hag, just the boo, boo, <laughs> uh, that just always sticks out. I mean, the cast list in this movie is absolutely insane. I just oh, remembered yeah. from you saying the old hag and remembering who said old hag is. Um, do you guys know? No. That's, who is uh, it? Michael. Carol Kane? Yes. Is that it? Yeah. Correct. Which is just absolutely insane because <laughs> Carol yeah. Kane is like super famous. And you know who plays Carol Kane's? uh husband in this movie right uh well no so is it the same person because i i think the the lady who yells at the dream wedding procession is not the one who's married to billy crystal is it not i don't think it is it's been a while since i've watched the movie i will admit but still carol kane <laughs> is definitely in it and married to billy crystal you are correct mm-hmm. um and the grandson believe it or not fred savage wow yeah really <laughs> nuts Fred Savage, also the brother of Corey Matthews, in case you didn't know. Oh, God. <laughs> what? What, Michael? Boy Meets World. I like I still, Boy Meets I still World. have never seen it. It's really good. I know. It's like a whole piece of uh, childhood TV that I just completely uh, I didn't watch on. it either. That's where Topanga comes from, right? That's yep. that. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't watched it. So my cousins comes from. were a huge fan of that show, and mm-hmm. I would come back from school and get off the bus or whatever and go to their house and never once did I watch it. You missed out. It's a good it's show. I've heard. It's on Disney Plus. Yeah. Um But yeah, so at this point like we have seen so much of this movie that we've seen um all the cleverness and the wit that has come into play at every step, uh, mm-hmm. which hap- which makes it like it is the main thing that really stands out to me about this movie. Like everywhere you turn there's just something like layer and layer deep that is not necessarily like 
so overly smart that makes you question whether or not you can keep a like keep track of what's going on in the movie but it's just like little like tiny Morty. right exactly <laughs> <laughs> but just surfaces and surfaces and surfaces that are just layer and layer deep that uh even a six-year-old can follow uh because at the end of the day this is a children's book and i love that it never uh steps outside of that bound uh even though it has the gross stuff like wesley and buttercup kissing and all that stuff that like you don't care about until you're until you're actually invested like no do they kiss (laughs) um but yeah and along with all that you get the extra layers of the the kids actually the kid actually like getting invested in this story as it goes on it starts off with him just being like i don't really care grandpa like all right you can tell the story like yeah okay there's fighting in it that's cool and then over time you just see him get more and more invested um develop that emotional connection but yeah um so what we've kind of been trying to talk about this movie as we go like to figure out like what is it about it that makes it a perfect movie mm-hmm. um we've got the wit we've got the characters we've got the actors we got everything about it um really because to me at the end of the day like you can't have a perfect movie that doesn't accomplish everything that it sets out to be yes but i think that to kind of further your question what is it specifically that makes this the perfect movie and i think there are answers to that question I would love to hear what your answers to that question are. Well, let's break it down. What? Yeah. First off, what makes a good movie? I think that the easiest way to kind of come up with this is just to rattle them off as we come up with them. But one of my main things is relatable characters or characters in mm. situations that can be relatable. I think one of the very strong points of this movie is the fact that the um, the band of characters for whom we are following all are likable in some way, shape, or form. Even the, you know, guy from Sicily, who is, you know, kind of annoying, is still struggling to maintain leadership, something that we've all experienced. So when you're seeing it, you're kind of rooting for him, like, oh, come on, man, pull your people together, get this done. Um, You know, you got the giant who just wants to be lovable and just be friends with people, but his size is makes people assume that he's this mean guy. You have the fighter who is meant to be this dangerous man who's hunting people down and killing them, but at the end of the day, he's just looking for, you know, revenge against someone who had wronged him and his family. And even, you know, the dread pirate Roberts, you root for him. The only people whom you don't root for are the ones who barely get any screen time but act as the main antagonists, which are Mm -hmm. the prince and the prince's right hand, which is... I mean, it's true. You kind of don't think about it too much when you're watching the movie, but they each don't get many scenes um, Mm -hmm. that aren't directly just tying them to being the antagonist. Like, they are not three-dimensional characters, but you do get heroes who are three-dimensional characters. Yeah. I don't know if that necessarily makes it the perfect movie, but what I will say is it fulfills the first strike, which is to have a relatable band of characters for whom the audience can place themselves in. I agree, yeah. I agree. I'd also say that the movie doesn't take itself seriously as well. Like, that's... Yeah, man. I mm-hmm. feel like a great part of it is that even though it it's this great movie and whatnot, um, the biggest thing is it doesn't take itself seriously. Yeah. So, you can, like, you can enjoy laughing 
characters and, and all that sort of stuff. To so. sort of take that to the next level, I would say while this movie, you're right, does not take itself seriously, if the audience member were to take it seriously, it still holds up. Like, if you look yeah. at it as a fairy tale, it holds up just as much as it does as a parody of a fairy tale, which is great. Because at the end of the day, you still get the princess gets to be with the one that she loves, which is like pretty much what you look for in a staple quote unquote fairy tale. Because this, if we're talking about frames, this movie's plot is framed in the skeleton of a fairy tale with mm -hmm. the sort of meat and, you know, this venue of a sort of comedy, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, it has all of the the life of a comedy with all of the structure of a fairy tale. Um, that's why this movie is well known for being one of the inspirations for Shrek because Shrek is like super based in that same space where it's like, yes, this is a fairy tale, but it's also tongue in cheek because we realize how ridiculous fairy tales are and we're going to call that out. But at the yeah. end of the day, if you look at just the plot structure, it's like, yeah. okay, you got this guy who is not understood by many people. He goes out, he rescues the damsel. Him and the damsel fall in love. There's some sort of a sort of a climactic uh, issue that needs resolved, and then the falling action. So it still follows that same trail. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that makes it widely appealing to all audiences. Yeah, I mean, it's just in the same way that, like, Hercules or uh, Sleeping Beauty or Snow White are from Disney. Um, but usually, like, when anyone watches this, they've already seen all those, so they know how fairy tales typically go. So when this does decide to invert itself a little bit, invert that idea, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So what else? We have a band of likable characters. characters who yep. are relatable. A plot that is um, widely distillable throughout mm -hmm. either fandom that you go towards. And I think it also is nostalgic in a way off the off the bat because yeah. there are parts of it that echo what we've already seen in entertainment, but take it to new heights. So like we're mm. we're all familiar with the fairy tale, quote unquote, um, story and world in which it takes place in you know you you got your sleeping beauties you got your snow whites um and all of that had been on the sort of public eye for years and years and years before the princess bride came out so mm -hmm. there was already this idea of what a princess was in society's mind so there's a certain nostalgia that just comes kind of packed in with this idea of a Princess Bride movie that's more meant for adults. Not only that, though, I would say there's also nostalgia in the idea of just a family member sharing a story with you. That's something that once yeah. it starts, immediately you have buy-in. Yeah, and I mean, that goes exactly back to the original book. It is a it is someone recalling a time where they had a close connection with their father. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's it brings about this whole emotional idea of having like creating memories yeah uh to the point where you want to recreate those memories with your own kids and that carries through that sort of fatherly relationship not only does it carry through to the uh grandson and the grandfather but also what's kind of the first thing that starts the plot of the uh princess bride is the relationship between um princess buttercup and her father you know yeah 
it carries straight through. Um, now the Dread Pirate Roberts, we never really get to see his parents too much, but uh, I think it carries more through immediate buy-in than it does continual watchability. If that makes sense, like so, it's yeah. those parts they probably skipped out on. That's the that's the thing. It's like this has been then. Oh no, yeah, you never know what you got missed. You missed out on so that's beginning to be one of my favorite parts of the princess bride is that the princess bride story is not real there is no <laughs> there is no princess bride right you cannot as, read as, as, as we it know doesn't it. exist yeah. what is this no like you can't read the princess bride it doesn't exist what exists right. are interpretations of yeah. the princess bride right um, yeah so the story however it was meant to be told or even the true events, if it's been passed along for so for so long, we won't know. We'll never know, and we're not meant to know. It's the <laughs> idea that. But I want to. It almost makes it so that the Princess Bride movie is a sequel to the Princess Bride book. Yeah, which is wild. <laughs> I love the idea that it is like someone in a similar situation to the original book. It's just another grandpa's retelling it to their grandchild in a completely different family. And it's just this idea of telling stories in a way to make it easily digestible for a kid to understand. Yeah. And you know, that's what stories are all about. I think another thing that kind of makes this the perfect movie is the idea that it is um, written for adults with kids in mind. Right. Yeah. It's a very yeah. realistic look at fairy tales. It's not like, oh, everything's perfect all the time. It's like, no, sometimes things suck. Like, and sometimes people almost die. And sometimes you get poisoned and your legs don't work so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and the magic person <laughs> in the woods isn't always going to solve all your problems. But they're also not always evil. Sometimes they're just dumb. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it, it takes a lot of these ideas that we experience like throughout growing up like one one of my favorite parts about it is like whenever the kid starts to complain too much the grandpa outside of the story is just kind of like well it seems like you're getting a little too like emotional about this i think you're just tired you need to lay down and it's like the kid like no 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 no, grandpa grandpa i'm fine i got this we can make it through (laughs) i mean i think if we're talking about immediate buy-in and i'm just kind of i don't know why my brain tonight is going towards movie making and less movie watching but, um, you know, you can't leave work at the office. Uh, <laughs> but but the when we talk about immediate buy-in, what I mean by that is, and I keep mentioning it, so now I'm just going to give you guys a full-blown explanation, is movie making is a lot like catching a fish. You need bait. And then once they're on the hook, you got them, you know? Yeah. Um, then it's just about reeling them in. So th- The Princess Bride is so aware of that concept because it knows if it wants general appeal, it needs to have buy-in both from people who came to see a princess movie and for the people who got drugged to a princess movie, right? So Mm -hmm. how do you do that by immediately giving those people who don't want to be there a character to latch onto and to use as sort of a, an avatar for their being there. And what's the first thing that happens is the grandpa walks in and says, I'm going to tell you this story. And the little boy's like, fuck this. (laughs) I don't want to listen to a fairy tale. That's dumb. And that's immediate buy-in for anybody who was there to basically make fun of the movie. Because it's like, we're going to make fun of the movie before you can, so catch up. 
I I now that I like think back I on it, it's like take... oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's like now that I think back on it, like that kid really is like from the get go. It's like, man, fuck you, Grandpa. I just yeah. want to play my video games. Yeah, man. I just want to like, play my my Tecmo Bowl. What's that <laughs> one song that's like? I don't want to work. I just want to play on these drums all day. <laughs> that's like his attitude the entire movie. Yeah, but it it, it goes back to the, it's not taking itself seriously, and mm-hmm. it punched the joke first that it's not taking itself seriously. And that's good movie making. That yeah. is good movie making. And that's just really on Rob Reiner just being fantastic at writing movies. Yeah. Over and over again, the man just knocked it out of the park in the late 80s, early 90s. Absolutely. To kind of add another pillar of perfect movie making, because this really is kind of the perfect movie. Yeah. Is, and I guess it kind of harpens back to not taking itself too seriously. But at the same time, it never speaks down to the audience or mm. makes the audience the fool. Like you'll have in like, a James Bond movie where he's like, well, if I find the circumference of the this, that, and the other, and then I plug this into here, and then this is attached to this. <laughs> it's like, I know I'm not supposed to understand this. They're talking down to me because they want me to know that he's smarter than me, right? Yep. At no yep. point do they do that. In fact, they set the tone of the movie at whatever the modern man's, like, where wherever their logic sits, that's where this movie sits. It never goes above it. It only goes below it, and when it goes below it, it's to say, hey, you're smarter than this guy. Our main character is also smarter than this guy. You are at this level, and that better helps people attach to that main character. Right. Well, and it's it also, also a kid's book, too, so yeah, <laughs> that kind of helps it. Well, and to go along with that, With though, adult like it, themes. Yeah. yeah <laughs> to go along with that, though, it's like anytime it does present someone who's supposed to be this intellectual, it's like intellectual to the point that they're an idiot. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's it's like you're making a fool. Yeah. yeah. The the thing that I love the most about it, and I keep harping back to these two, but Billy Crystal's character is like not smart, not skilled. He doesn't understand why it works either. He's like, I don't know, just take it. You know, like <laughs> shut up, just do it. I don't know why my wife's over here. You know, like that's yeah. So like you're not even it's not even a moment of like Hey, I need you to buy into this. It's like I don't care if you buy into this or not. This is what's happening, and that's yeah. what frame narrative is. It's like yep. the understanding that this story is being told through a grandfather who knows that he has to get his grandson to buy in, and that the boring stuff isn't going to do it. Yeah, like that. <laughs> that frame alone makes this the perfect movie because it's speaking to the audience. It's saying. I know you, maybe you don't want to be here. If you do want to be here, great, I already got you. This movie is made for people who don't want to be here. And because they don't want to be here, I'm going to make them want to be here. And yeah. it works really well. Yep. I, honestly, I think that is the perfect way to to end this episode and just revel in like how great of a job this movie does at, one, being an adaptation, and two getting that buy-in and creating this frame narrative that stands out to this day. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, for sure. Pat, we're so excited to have you here <laughs> and to be hey. a, a host on entertain this. Again, thank you guys. I appreciate it. How was uh, your... It's been a while since I watched the movie. So like I was, tr- I was reaching at some points, but um, <laughs> he did research I... before this. Did you know that a little inside baseball? He wow. had he had fun facts ready at the ready. I did. I was, I was so proud. <laughs> um, yeah. So I hate to do this, but Pat, I'm kicking you out because we're bringing Chloe back, 
And Chloe's going to do the quick this with us with our guest from last month. Hattie is coming back after this musical break. We'll be right back. That's And we're back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for sticking with us. And I'd also like to thank Hattie, who has returned from last week's episode uh, to give us a quick this. How are you doing today, Hattie? Pretty good, pretty good. Thank you for for coming back on to the show and making some more time for us, because this is definitely not the same week that you were on the show before. (laughs) This is a different week, a different one entirely. Exactly. So we gave you sort of the rundown of what a quick this is. Did you bring something uh, to do a quick this on this week? Yeah. Great. So let's bring up your timer real quick. (laughs) We got it ready. And Michael, give us the countdown. All right. Three, two, one, go. All right. So if you listen to the last episode, you know I'm from the heart of Kentucky, central Kentucky. So in my hometown, there was this cool little group from around the 70s, early 80s called the Cornbread Mafia. Why is it called the Cornbread Mafia? I I don't know. I just go with it because we're country as hell. So the Cornbread Mafia originated because there were not factories in my hometown area. So people could not make money unless they were farming, right? Which is fine. There's plenty of farmland. But people needed to figure out something else to do because they wanted a little more money. So you know what people did? They learned how to grow marijuana. And so there was this guy named Johnny Boone, and he went to California, and he learned how to grow marijuana. He brought it back to Kentucky and ended up being like, apparently they said it was some of the best weed from Kentucky because we have something called limestone in our um our grass actually limestone is the reason why you'll find bluegrass in specific parts of kentucky whoa i didn't know yeah. that um i think that's right you might want to fact that's me, also but. what makes <laughs> bourbon kentucky bourbon is the uh yeah the limestone so limestone and the water is what makes uh bourbon so good Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, so they learned how to grow weed in Kentucky. There is actually a whole book about it. Um, and actually there's about to be another book about it. It's a memoir and it might be from one of the uh, people mentioned in the Cornbread Mafia book. But this Cornbread Mafia book um, goes back and talks about this man named Hylene George, who is actually my grandfather's best friend. And Hylene George used to own this um, little bar place called um what was it like 68 some club 68 and actually ike and tina turner played there and that's like one of our biggest things in the whole wide world but anyways so hyleen got connected to johnny boone and they created this whole network of pot growth and like they even reached out to like kansas and it's a whole wild ass thing And Johnny Boone at one point was on FBI's Most Wanted for marijuana growth and distribution. He was actually caught right before COVID in Canada and he went to jail. And then I think he got COVID or was released from jail because of COVID. Um, But yeah, so we were known as the number one place for marijuana growth there for a hot minute in Marion County, Kentucky. I don't think Johnny Boone was his real name, was it? No, it's his real name. Oh. 
we're still yeah. we're probably allowed to talk about it. It's fine. Uh, it just sounded like it might not be. No, there's a whole book. Like his name is known. He's doxed. Nice. It's we're fine. good then. He's doxed. We're not doxing him. That's the important part. We don't know where that's he is right now. Right. That's the important part. Right. I don't know where the hell he is now. I don't think. Did you know him personally? Did you ever meet him? Um, I did not know Johnny Boone personally. My dad knew Johnny Boone. Um, and actually, That's your six a lot of, of separation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you check out this book, uh, the Cornbread Mafia, I was like, I was like texting my dad when I was reading it, and I was like, "Holy shit, this shit happened in our hometown! Like, what the <laughs> hell?" And then there's like there's this whole section about murder in this book, and I was murder. talking to my dad, <laughs> and I was like. What the fuck? Like, who is this guy that murdered people? And dad goes, yeah, that guy actually uh, had dinner at your grandma's house. I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) Grandma, you were inches from death. I'm like, Mamma, you were hanging out with these these murderous people. Oh, there's another good story from this book that is also connected um, in association with Hylene George. Hylene George is dead, so we can talk about him as much as we want. Um, (laughs) But there was this... um, there was a heist at GE Appliance in the 70s, 80s-ish. And basically people just, somebody, Hyleen got somebody to steal all these air conditioning units from uh, from Louisville, a GE Appliance. And um, he ended up giving them to one of these like um, convents. So all these sisters were like, yay, we're getting air conditioning units on a discount. Woo! Go Hyleem! Go sisters. Um, no, they they were stolen. So, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> he gave these sisters a stolen um, air conditioning units. And actually, my my grandmother, so my granddaddy, he passed away like late seventies, like. Um, and after he passed away, my grandma's air conditioning unit quit working. So she got somebody to come and like fix this air conditioning unit. And the guy who fixed it, he's like, now, um, why is a serial code marked out on your air conditioning unit? I don't know. <laughs> and Mel was like, I have no idea. Like what? <laughs> like, cause she really did it. She had no clue, but she Dang. got one of those air conditioning units. That's crazy. That's so awesome. <laughs> so what's what's yeah. the title of the book? Because I feel like that's what people are going to be looking for. It's called... It's called The Cornbread Mafia. Right. Look up that book, <laughs> go buy it, read it, because it sounds like an awesome read. Um, is there anything... Also, you were absolutely right. Um, when Kentucky was underwater, tiny bits of shells from marine creatures degraded over time to form a layer of limestone, which is rich in calcium carbonate. That calcium grew up into the grass, which is why Kentucky racehorses are so healthy, because their bones are fortified with that sweet Kentucky calcium. Woo! That, that was a wild fact check that came out of left field, but I appreciate it nonetheless. <laughs> they asked for it. They were like, fact check me. And I said, okay. Oh, great. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I... I have a lot of random knowledge, and sometimes I question myself, and I'm like, how do I know that? Did I make that up? Is that even true? Is that going in my next novella? Who's to say? (laughs) Hattie, thank you again for coming back on the show. Is there anything else that you would like to plug this time around? Uh, Make make sure you check out Smokin' Queers on Instagram. Uh, My Insta and TikTok are Hattie Cincinnati. I'm performing with Smoke and Queers on July 29th, and I'm performing 
in Lexington on July 30th. And if you want to know who Smoking Queers is, you should listen to our last episode where we had Hattie on to talk about all things burlesque, drag, and the Cincinnati LGBTQ community. It was an awesome episode. You guys should go back and listen to it. Uh, Until next time, if there's anything in the realm of entertainment that you want to hear us talk about, there are a couple of different ways that you can throw us suggestions. And if we like your suggestion, we might just make a show about it. Uh, The best and easiest way that you can throw us suggestions is to go to our website, www.entertainthis.net slash et-podcast. Scroll all the way to the bottom. There's a little questionnaire there that you can fill out, and it goes straight to us. Or you can email us directly. Our email is entertainthispodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram. We are entertainthispodcast. On Twitter, we are entertain underscore this. And on Facebook, we are podcast entertain this. And as always, entertain us so we can entertain you. And you can entertain this. See you next Friday. Goodbye! This episode of Entertain This was written by Michael Savoya with additional commentary by Patrick Frazier and Alex Steele. Our showrunner and resident fact checker is Chloe Price. Our theme music is Rush Bubble by Aaron Spencer with interstitial music by DJW. Tune in every Friday for new episodes and thanks for listening.